If you love the History Extra podcast and want to help us keep bringing you brilliant episodes, then please share it with a friend or a fellow history fan who you think might enjoy it. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. There are all of these reports about him being an extraordinary magnetic presence on stage, you know, disappearing into role, fear, fury, passion. All of these words keep coming up in reports of him in the theatre. That was Andrew Dixon talking about the Shakespearean actor Richard Burbage. listening to the History Extra podcast from BBC History magazine. We're the UK's best-selling history magazine, available in print and several digital formats all over the world. Find out more at historyextra.com forward slash subscribe or look out for us in your digital newsstand or app store. Hello and welcome to the History Extra podcast. I'm Rob Attar, the editor of BBC History magazine. On Sunday, the 15th of April, BBC Radio 3 will be airing a documentary entitled Exit Burbage, which explores the life of the great Shakespearean actor Richard Burbage, but inquires why he's almost been forgotten by history. The documentary is presented by the journalist and author Andrew Dixon, and he caught up with our deputy editor Charlotte Hodgman a little while back to share Burbage's fascinating story. Is it somebody that you were familiar with um, before the Radio 3 programme? Well, I think... To be honest, I'd seen Burbage's name because you see Burbage's name in in lots of places. Um, I wrote uh, a guidebook to Shakespeare. The first version of that came out about um, 15 years ago. And uh, I was writing about Shakespeare and Shakespearean stage history. And I'd seen this name of this actor, Richard Burbage. Um, But I'd never actually sort of pieced together who he was. You know, you see names like Will Kemp and Robert Armin, other members of Shakespeare's company. Um, but I, I, Burbage hadn't really jumped out. And it actually wasn't until um, I was talking to uh, a BBC radio producer uh, about him. Um, and I suddenly thought, yes, gosh, he is so interesting, isn't he? Because not only is he one of the actors in Shakespeare's company, um, he's kind of the actor. <laughs> he's... Um, you know, he's the first guy, we think, who played Hamlet, who played Lear, Othello, Macbeth, Pericles, uh, Richard III, Henry V. All of these kind of great Shakespearean roles were were played by this one guy. Um, and when you sort of start putting that together and you think, OK, well, what did that look like, you know, year on year through the course of his career? And you think, gosh, that's absolutely fascinating. And and also, why haven't I really clocked him? <laughs> you know, why didn't I really know that much about him? Why don't we know that much about him? Um, and that's really how the programme began, I suppose. We we wanted to, to do a kind of uh, detective story, in a, in a sense, try and track him down and, and work out who he was and, and how on earth he did what he seems to have done. Mm, yeah. I mean, so what have you found out about him? Well, the... Um, 
the interesting thing is that um, in terms of kind of documentary evidence, um, we know the basics. Uh, we know that he was born in London in 1568. So that's sort of four years after after Shakespeare. Um, we also know that he grew up in a, in a theatre family. Uh, Richard's father, James Burbage, was um, actually a, a joiner from from Bromley in Kent, who'd basically run away to join the circus. Essentially, he'd uh, he decided, obviously, at some point that he was interested in acting. He'd started acting himself. He set up an acting company, and then the interesting thing about James Burbage is that he actually builds the very first theatre, the first purpose-built theatre in the Elizabethan period, which is simply called the Theatre, and it's in, in Shoreditch in, in East London. Uh, and Richard kind of grew up in this household. So his elder brother Cuthbert was, we think, a, a theatre manager. But Richard was the kind of star of the family, basically, and was probably on stage by his teens. Um, and then that's when we start sort of seeing this link between Shakespeare and Burbage. Um, in a sense that I think the fascinating thing is is probably that the Burbage family was was the link that brought Shakespeare to London. Um, it's possible that he first encountered James Burbage when he was acting uh, on tour in Stratford upon Avon, and you know. Uh, no one is exactly sure because there isn't the evidence. But my hunch is that probably they encountered uh, each other um, in Stratford and Shakespeare is obviously sort of aspiring writer and actor himself. And perhaps the Burbage family were the link that, that first enabled him to move to London and to start writing for the theatre. So essentially what happens is the Burbages give him the theatre in Shoreditch um, allow him to, to to write, to produce plays, to be part of the acting company. And that's how you get this astonishing collaboration between Shakespeare and, and Richard Burbage, uh, which begins probably in the late 1580s, 1590s. Um, I mean, in terms of the other facts about Burbage's life, there isn't very much. We know that he, he married a woman called Winifred. Uh, they had eight children. Uh, rather sadly, only one of those children survived beyond uh, childhood. Not very untypical for the time. Um, we know that he died. We know that he was uh, extremely famous when he died. Um, but that's kind of it, really. So, so what what we were doing was just trying to trying to chase the, the the paper trail and find out as much about Burbage as we possibly could, whilst also, I, I guess, trying to get at I think what is the interesting stuff, which is how he and Shakespeare work together, you know, how playwright and how actor bounced off each other, generated ideas, how the roles that Shakespeare wrote for Burbage uh, developed, you know, what kind of qualities did he have as an actor? What kind of what what might it have been like to to be in the theatre watching him? And that's what we were trying to get to. Mm. I mean, it seems incredible that somebody who was proclaimed that the greatest actor England had ever seen by the time of his death has now largely been forgotten. I mean, what, why do you think that that's the case? Yeah, it's so striking, isn't it? Um, I mean, when Burbage died in in 1619, so three years after Shakespeare, it was a national event. Um, you know, there were poems about it. People were writing about it in letters. Um, some people said that they would couldn't bear to go to the theatre ever again because the greatest actor of all time had ever died. Um, I, I think in a sense it, it's because we don't really remember actors, do we, in in uh, in, in a way from, from history. Um, you know, there's not film or TV, obviously, in, in this period. You don't have records of their performances. The kind of documentary records are are very scanty for performers at this time or i think really until the kind of 19th or 20th centuries is only then that people really start writing about the art of acting um 
But I, I guess it's in a way what I wanted to do in this program and and working with the producer Penny Murphy to try and do is, is as it were, tell the other side of the story. You know, we all know all about Shakespeare and, you know, not quite not what he had for breakfast every day, but his life has been covered in in, in such detail, so many different biographies of him. But actually, in, in, in a sense, Burbage's kind of involvement in in working on those plays, developing those scripts, I think is is, is the really interesting thing. You know, um, Shakespeare was obviously writing for him. Um, obviously, had his particular talents as a performer in mind. Uh, was thinking about his capabilities. And uh, the example I've, I've I've kind of always thought of when when working on this program, it, it's a bit like a a composer and a great musician. That Shakespeare must have looked at Burbage, looked at his his skills, his magnetic presence on stage and thought, okay, well, what can I do with this? How can I, how can I write? What kind of characters can I create? Um, and when you start place, placing together these, these characters, you think about the big roles that Burbage played, Hamlet, Lear, Richard III, you know, you do get continuities, you know, that it's not, I don't think an accident that all of those characters goes mad, <laughs> um, that they have kind of, you know, major, sort of transformations, kind of psychological breakdowns. Clearly, Burbage was was very, very expert at doing that. Um, we also know that he must have had an absolutely prodigious memory because as far as we can tell in the Elizabethan period, um, companies like Shakespeare's Company were performing 30-odd plays a year. Maybe half of those would have been new. So you think about the kind of work rate, not only going on stage as, as Hamlet, in the afternoon and um, these performances in the Elizabethan period, but memorizing new plays, doing work at court, dealing with patrons, as well as also being very involved in in the business of, of the company, the actual kind of day-to-day business of keeping the company running, you know, uh, keeping the, the, the building, the globe in, in good repair, um, all of that kind of sort of business side of things, Burbage was very, very heavily involved in. Um, I mean, there's there's a line that stuck with me. Uh, one of his very few biographers, um, a woman called Mary Edmund, who wrote a, a piece about him in the the Oxford Dictionary of National Biography, and she says, you know, um, Burbage dies at fifty, and he did well to get that far. <laughs> um, he must have been working so hard. It must have been a life of absolutely constant action and movement and energy. Um, and and that's the thing. He 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 must have just had so much going on to do all this. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I mean, Shakespeare was, was famously an actor as well as a playwright. Do you think that maybe Burbage was writing plays or helping Shakespeare with his works at all? I mean, that's the tantalising question. You know, is is it a, a collaboration? Um, are the two of them kind of actually writing these plays together? I mean, the honest answer is that there is there's just no way of knowing. Um, you know, we don't have any evidence. We have very, very little evidence even about how Shakespeare wrote his plays. Um, 
you know, we know that he worked with sources. We know he's kind of, you can sort of piece together some of the ways in which these plays perhaps came into being, but we, we don't know how he wrote them. Um, you know, my hunch is though that Shakespeare and, and people don't, I think, appreciate this enough is, is that he was a collaborator as, as much as a, a right, a playwright. You know, we, we have this rather post-romantic idea of, of Shakespeare sort of sitting in his garret, you know, working on Hamlet or, or King Lear and then handing the plays, handing the scripts over to, to the actors. And, and uh, that's the way that it goes. Actually, my hunch is it would have been a much more collaborative process that, that Shakespeare would have been working on these scripts, certainly. But they would have changed in rehearsal and in performance. Um you know, the company were very, very used to to adapting these these scripts as they went along, responding to particular contexts or environments. Suddenly, you know, you've got a uh, a noble in the audience. Maybe you should make some reference to that. The script gets changed. Um, I mean, the sheer pace of work suggests that actually they would have been adapting these plays as they they went along. You know, these plays that we call Shakespeare's, whether they were totally Shakespeare's plays and only Shakespeare's plays, I, I, I think is is probably quite unlikely in some sense. And and as much as Shakespeare would have been responding to to actors like Burbage and and thinking about what they they could do, what they're good at, you know, what will suit them in terms of roles and characters, they must also have been feeding ideas back, saying, "Oh, I'm not quite sure this works. Um, can we make that scene a little bit shorter? It feels a bit too too long to me." Um, you know, there's there's one fascinating thing that that came up in in making the program um, that you notice, again, lots of these big roles that, that Burbage played, Hamlet, Lear, um, Othello even. And the interesting thing is, is that the, the lead role, the hero disappears for, for quite a lot of the second half of the action. Um, you know, you think about Hamlet, Hamlet goes off to England, is, is sent there by by Claudius, um, you think about Lear, and he sort of disappears because he's he has his his big mad scene, and then he he disappears for, for several scenes. You don't see him on stage, and apparently <laughs> some actors that we were talking to at the American Shakespeare Center in in Stanton, in Virginia, they call this the Burbage break um, <laughs> because there's this sort of sense of actually, well, those first you know five or six scenes, particularly in a play like King Lear, are exhausting. You know you're 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 almost never off stage. You've got an enormous amount to do. It requires such energy, and um, and perhaps you know Burbage is is in his forties by the time he's playing these roles. Maybe he just needs to have a bit of a sit down, <laughs> <laughs> have a cup of tea backstage, and 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 just um just take a breath and take a pause. And and Shakespeare must have written that in. You know, knowing that that perhaps he put so much of himself in into these roles and um, there are all of these reports about him being an extraordinary magnetic presence on stage you know disappearing into role fear fury passion all of these 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 words keep coming up in in reports of him in the theater and maybe he just needed to just take a breath <laughs> <laughs> and come back and i think that's just so interesting the way in which you know the life of one man and the experience of one man actually gets kind of embedded in these plays. So, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, absolutely. I, I think we need to think of, you know, less the idea of, of, of Shakespeare as a kind of sole writer working on his own and much more of him as a, as a collaborator working in a company, developing these scripts together, altering them as they went along. That would have absolutely been, been part of his working process. And, what do we know of his relationship with with Shakespeare? I mean, do you get the sense from your research that um, that they had some sort of friendship, you know, that they were close? Yes, it comes through very strongly the sense of of friendship, not just you know professional colleagues, but actual 
friends um there are a few sort of hints there i mean obviously you, you think about i mean they must have been able to get on if, if shakespeare wrote all of these plays for him and and burbage was was in the company but i think partly yes that that link um possible link back to to stratford and and the idea that that shakespeare there's a there's a story that shakespeare when he first moved to london lived in shoreditch and shoreditch was where the burbage family lived um you know my hunch is that probably he perhaps lived with the burbages for a time or certainly they they kind of helped bring him to london and and encouraged him in his writing um there are also these these tantalizing little scattered fragments as well um we know that one of richard's and winifred's children uh, was called juliet um you know that one of the daughters is called Juliet. She died very young, but you think, okay, well, of course, you know what play had Burbage been in five years before? It was Romeo and Juliet, um, and indeed, their one surviving son was called William. Um, the, the the one boy who survived was called William, and he was born quite soon after Shakespeare's death. So that must have been surely a, a tribute to their relationship. Um, we know from Shakespeare's side that in his will, uh, one of the very few friends, um, he describes them as friends. Um, that he 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 gives money to in his will. One of them is Burbage. Um, the other two are um, Hemmings and Condal, the, the, the fellow actors who end up being the guys who create the first folio. So clearly there was there was an intimacy there. Um, I think that you know what we have to sort of understand about the way that acting companies worked in the Elizabethan period was that they were kind of family businesses really. I mean, the, the Burbages were were running the Lord Chamberlain's men later the king's men they owned a theater they were heavily involved in in all of the work of the company um, and i think once you're in that company you know not only is it a sort of business arrangement that you're kind of all shareholders in this enterprise but you are kind of like family members you're working together the entire time you know um you're spending so much of your life with each other um and Yes, um, I, I get a real sense of, of of intimacy actually between Burbage and Shakespeare. Um, it's very striking. Um, we were at the Folger Library in in Washington D.C. doing some research for the program, and uh, one of the things about the Folger Library is they have this this enormous collection of Shakespeare first folios. They've got the world's largest collection, eighty two of the things. It's completely crazy. And um, we looked at one of the copies when we were there, and you open it up, of course, and you see on the almost the first page of the volume the the list of of principal actors in these plays, and who are the the first two names in the list? It's William Shakespeare. And Richard Burbage, you know, they're together, and and so I do get a real sense that um, yeah, it wasn't just a professional relationship. There there must have been a friendship there. And I mean, how were actors generally seen during this period? I mean, you've mentioned that he would have been very well known. Um, was it a respected profession? <laughs> no, it, it wasn't at all, really. I mean, at least from the official point of view. Um, Yes, uh, the Elizabethan government took a very dim view of actors, generally speaking. There's a very famous statute uh, which calls them rogues and vagabonds. Um, they, they are, I, I guess, you know, much more sort of marginal than we'd, we'd think of um, in terms of actors these days. They have a sort of slightly sort of liminal status in society. So, yeah, you could be uh, thrown in, in prison if you're if you're an actor and you don't have the protection of a powerful patron. At the same time, obviously, theatre was was enormously popular in Elizabethan London. You know, there's a, these statistics that have, that you know perhaps um, a tenth of the population saw theatre. It's the kind of mass media of its day. Um, but at the same time, the authorities don't like theatre. They're continually trying to close the theatres down for being incitements to sedition and, and plague. 
Um, you know, the theatres have to be constructed outside the city of London uh, in the so-called Liberties, so in, in Shoreditch and then later in, in Southwark. So I think there's, there's, a, there's a sort of sense that, that actors are, are sort of not quite know people, but but sort of on, on the edges somehow, on, on the fringes. You know, they're very, very famous and people are, you know, absolutely know who these people are. People would have known who, who Burbage was. At the same time, they're not quite fully respectable members of society. Um, and this, is, of course, is, is very much like Shakespeare as well. Um, we know that Shakespeare acquired a coat of arms at, at great expense, uh, which a lot of people seem to have mocked him for, seem to have been sort of rather ridiculous thing to, for a you know, pretty humbly born playwright from the sticks to, to, to want to get a, a coat of arms and become a gentleman. But of course, the Burbage family do exactly the same thing. <laughs> They're trying to, to, um, to, to enter polite society um, and perhaps not quite making it. You know, there's a sort of sense that, you know, they're they're trying to establish themselves, but also it's it's regarded as a slightly sort of dangerous, dodgy, liminal profession. Um, so they're they're absolutely on the margins of that. You know, when you're looking for clues about who Burbage was and how he operated, um, you know, I guess one of the things you do is you talk to to modern actors about how they feel about the roles that he's played, uh, and we talked uh, to. Simon Russell Beale and to Catherine Hunter, two extremely eminent Shakespeareans who between them have played many of the roles that Burbage seems to have originated. And that was so interesting talking to them and getting their perspective on these roles. Um, and the thing that, that Catherine Hunter said was when we, you know, sort of were talking about the demands of playing Lear as well as Hamlet and Othello, Macbeth, all of these 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 great roles in a very, very short period of time, she just said, Wow, you know, I, I can't imagine doing that. The sheer amount of energy he must have had, you know, to go on stage in these characters, to 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 go to these dark and difficult psychological places, let alone do all the other stuff that he he had to do off stage. It, he must have been a remarkable performer. Um, and and Simon Russell Beale was was also very struck by that, that sort of sense of energy that Burbage must have had. Um, but he also said this this interesting thing that um, actually even though these days we perhaps don't know Burbage's name and and we should and you know as far as we're aware he didn't write any plays. But in a sense, the things that he created do survive. You know he did work with Shakespeare on these plays. You know. Ben Johnson wrote for him, Marston wrote for him, all of these great playwrights. And so in a sense, his his monument is that work. You know, those scripts do survive. And every time that someone plays Hamlet or plays King Lear, uh, perhaps a little bit of Burbage does survive. You know, there's a sense that actually, you know, a bit of him is in the theatre there somehow. Um, and I don't know, I find that quite a nice thought. That was Andrew Dixon. And as I mentioned earlier, his documentary, Exit Burbage, is airing on BBC Radio 3 this Sunday, the 15th of April, at 6.45pm. And Andrew has also written a piece for the magazine about Burbage, which will appear in our May issue that goes on sale next week. In the meantime, you can still get hold of our April edition, which includes pieces about Alexander Hamilton, Martin Luther King, the RAF in World War II and a whole lot more. Look out for it in all good retailers and on many digital editions. OK, so that's about all for today, but please do listen in on Monday for more from the world of history. Thanks for listening to this History Extra podcast, which was produced by Jack Fletcher. 
Do let us know what you think about this episode by emailing podcast at historyextra.com and we might read out your messages in future editions. Alternatively, why not keep in touch via Twitter or Facebook, where you'll find us at History Extra. For more great history content, don't forget to visit our website, historyextra.com, which is full of history articles, quizzes, image galleries and more. Plus, it's where you can download hundreds of previous episodes of this podcast.